How many of you gave up something for Lent this year? How many of you meant to give up something for Lent this year? How many of you feel guilty for not giving up something for Lent this year? That's my category. I normally give up chocolate and Dr. Pepper every year for Lent, and it kills me. When Easter Sunday comes, I'm a happy man. But a lot of guilt seems to always be associated with the season of Lent. The 40 days that, that lead up to Easter where we prepare to celebrate Easter, we, we focus on the suffering and the sacrifice of Christ. And many people, many believers try to muster up these feelings uh, of sorrow and sadness for all that Jesus suffered on our behalf. And we try to feel really bad about it and, and in some ways even punish ourselves for it. But you and I need to remember this morning that Jesus suffered so that we don't have to. Jesus suffered so that we don't have to. You and I cannot add anything to the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. And we cannot, by our suffering, we cannot, by our self-denial, become more deserving of the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. When Jesus said from the cross, it is finished, guess what? It is finished. It's complete. He did everything that needed to be done. But what can you and I do? We can't add to the suffering. We can't add to the sacrifice of Christ. But what can we do? That's what I want us to discover, hopefully this morning, as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is the last week on this passage, I promise. Next Sunday, Palm Sunday, the Sunday after that, Easter Sunday, but this will be the fifth time that you've heard this passage read. The fifth time that you have heard your identity in Christ. And that can't be a bad thing, can it? So it's vital that we spend one more week on this passage, looking one more time at our identity in Christ, so that we as individuals can grasp what it is, so that you and I as a community together can be blessed and be all that we are called to be. So if you have your Bible open to Deuteronomy chapter 7, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the one and only true and living God. Beginning in verse 6, this is the word of the Lord. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Let's pray together. Father, bless the reading and the hearing of your word. And Spirit of God, be the teacher this morning. Pray that by your power, you would apply your truth to our lives so that we will know who we are, so that we can be the people that you call us to be. It's the desire of our heart. Accomplish it in us and through us, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You Be seated. If you'll look again with me in verse 6, we read there, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
Now I want to read three other passages that are similar to this one. And I want you to listen for what the other three in verses include that is left out in verse 6. One is Exodus 19.6. God says, You will be for me a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You are to be a holy priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood belonging to God. Did you catch what was missing? See, all of the passages talk about being a people. All the passages talk about them being a holy people or a holy nation. But the verse we have before us, verse 6 in Deuteronomy 7, leaves out the idea of priesthood, where all the other passages talk about God's people being a kingdom of priests, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, God's people. In fact, this idea of people being a priesthood is not found in Deuteronomy. The idea of being a people is found there. Deuteronomy 14.2, for you are a people holy to the Lord. Deuteronomy 26.19, he has declared that you will be a people holy to the Lord. Deuteronomy 33.29, happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, the sword of your triumph. See, the concept of being holy is here. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The concept of being a people is here, and we're going to talk about that later today. But the concept of priesthood is missing. Why? What might God, through Moses, be communicating by this omission? I think we can answer that question in part when we remember the setting of these words, and you've heard it many times, we're familiar with it. But Moses has the people of God standing on the plains of Moab. And just across the Jordan River, just across the Jordan River, is the promised land, the land that God is going to give to them. And so under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Moses is preaching God's message to God's people, before they enter the land. And these are among the last words that these people will ever hear from Moses. He may look healthy, but he is a dying man. God has already told him, Moses, you will not go into the promised land more than once. Moses knows this. The people know this. And since right now they're making preparations to go into the promised land, what does that mean? That means that the death of Moses must be approaching very quickly. After galvanizing these people as slaves in Egypt, leading them out of slavery, after leading them for decade after decade in the wilderness, these are the last words they will hear from Moses. And when you know that's the case, you listen differently. Now, I don't want to derail this sermon by giving you a little bit of information that you may not know. But you know, Will Hunter only has seven more Sundays with us. His wife, Caitlin's graduating from MUSC, the medical the, the program she was in there. And soon they're going to move off to their new ministry opportunity in Green, Greenwood, South Carolina. So now knowing that, you are going to listen differently when Will plays. I know I will because we know it's among the last times we're going to hear him play. It's not like going to Greenwood, South Carolina is dying, but... But then again, I don't know. I've never been, he's never been to Greenwood, South Carolina. Just kidding, Will. 
But you know what we're doing? We're asking questions like, what are we going to do without Will? Where are we ever going to find another piano player as good as Will? Well, as great as Will is, he certainly is no Moses. Again, Will, I'm sorry. But can you imagine how people felt at the thought of being left without Moses? How would they hear from God without Moses? How would they know what to do without Moses? Moses is preparing for them, them for that right now in this very moment. They will have another leader, Joshua. But right now, God, through Moses, is empowering them uh, by giving them their identity. Verse 6, you're a holy people, a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. You, together, as God's people are holy. You, together, as God's people have been chosen. You, together, as God's people are his treasured possession. You, together, as God's people are now ready to enter into the promised land. You, together, as God's people, to your own amazement and to the amazement of the nations around you will have the ability to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. And so what Moses is emphasizing here, encouraging, what he's preaching with his last breaths of life is the indispensable understanding of this concept of God's people being just that, a people, a body, a corporate entity. In his commentary, J.G. McConville says that the emphasis on being a people here in this passage is part of Deuteronomy's understanding of the people as such, enjoying, as a people, a relationship with God without the needed mediation of a king. And it expresses the people's servant relationship to God. The same emphasis probably also explains why Deuteronomy omits here And in similar passages, the phrase, kingdom of priests. The idea of priesthood as a metaphor of dedication to God apparently did not suit Deuteronomy's idea of the whole people as an integrated entity before God in which the priest is not set up as the ultimate model of holiness. Now listen, it's true that God sets aside people for his purposes, priests, The book of Exodus contains extensive material about the holiness of place, tabernacle, the holiness of things in the tabernacle, the holiness of particular people, the priests, and the holiness of the actions that they perform, the sacrifices. The priesthood in the Old Testament is God's idea. He ordained it to be, and he instituted it. And he gave priests certain functions that only they could do. In the absence of the mediation that we have in Christ, for there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, in the absence of that, priests stood before God and the people. The priests made sacrifices for their own sin and for the sins of the people. Deuteronomy doesn't exclude these, but it it makes mention of them to a far lesser extent. The emphasis of Moses in this last sermon that make up the book of Deuteronomy is that the priest was not the only one who was called to be holy before God. The people were called to be holy. And so Moses' purpose here is not to, to point to a priest. It's to point to the people. Together, they are the people of God. 
an integrated unit. It is through the people, through the people living in the land, that blessing will come. It's not the job of the priest or even of the king for which at this point God hasn't even made provision. God's message to the people was to prepare them to enter the promised land. And the emphasis was not on the dichotomy that exists between the people and the priesthood. It was on the unity that exists between them, standing equally before God on the plains of Moab. God chose not a person, but a people to carry out his plans. So could it be that what God is emphasizing here through the inspired preaching of Moses is the polar opposite of what happens in the church today? We have this great divide in almost every expression of the church. The evangelical church, the liberal church, the Catholic church, between the laity, the people, and the priesthood. The clergy, the priests, are supposed to be the holy ones. The clergy are paid to do the work of ministry as one completely uninvolved member of a local megachurch once told me when I asked him what ministry he was involved in, he said, I'm not involved in any ministry. He said, I show up on Sunday morning, I put my money in the plate, and the pastors will take care of everything else. Not an uncommon attitude. God created the priesthood. He gave them special jobs, special tasks to do. But he gives people who are not priests jobs to do that priests can't do. Do do you realize the access that you have to people that ministers, people like me, don't have? Do you realize what people will say to you that they will never say to to me or, or to another pastor? How real they will be with you because they don't think that you are that holy. You know, sometimes I fudge a little bit if I meet someone, you know, and they ask me what I do, especially if I've been having a good conversation with them, and especially if they think they've said something not appropriate or if they've dropped the F-bomb or something like that, talking to me. Oh, what do you do? I'm a preacher. Oh, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just... You know the story. You know how it happens. And so sometimes I, I, I just say, you know what? I'm in education. And that's true. That's what I am. <laughs> so why is this clergy lady paradigm killing the church? The math is easy enough. If you have one person, one person over, you know, one church of 250 people, and you have the model that that one person is the holy person, and that that person is to do the ministry, then look what you've just lopped off. Look at the ministry and the outreach potential and the exponential church growth that you just eliminated. But if you have a different model, this corporate model, this biblical model, then you have 250 people who see themselves as holy to the Lord. You have 250 people who also understand that they are to be involved in ministry. With that model in place, think of how the church could grow. I mean real growth. I don't mean shuffling believers from this church to that church. I mean real growth that comes when hell-bound people come to faith in Christ. That's real growth. I'm talking about the kind of growth that comes when we together are, are talking to one another 
about what we have learned and what God has taught us from His Word and how we have grown, if 250 people were determined to get involved in their community and to do something about hunger and homelessness and injustice, think of what we could accomplish to alleviate these plagues. These are the issues that are at the very heart of God. The issues about which he talks in Scripture in in its entirety. God's heart is for the poor. He says so. God's heart is for the widow. He says so. God's heart is for the orphan. He says so. God's heart is for the oppressed. He says so. God's heart is for the lost. Whether rich or poor, married or single, the oppressed or the oppressor, The orphan, the family, black, white, all people of every race, God's heart is for the lost among them. So with people reaching out to them instead of just a person, the impact could be tremendous. God's people, together on mission, can accomplish much for the kingdom of God. Anybody here from the new downtown community group? Raise your hand. How many of you are here? Stand up just a minute. Don't mind the new downtown community group. Come on, come on, stand up. Now listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say with me who we see ourselves to be. You remember, don't you? Boy, I'm really praying this works out or it's going to be a huge flop. Alrighty, so we are a family on mission together. One more time. We are a family on mission. Thank you. Awesome. Sit down. See, from the very outset, from the very formation of this community group, we want to have it in our DNA that we as a group of believers exist for more than just studying the Bible together, though we will do that. We exist for more than just taking care of one another and loving each other, though we will do that. We also exist to be involved in ministry together in the community. All of our community groups exist for the same reason. That's why we call them community groups. Because we experience community together as a family. And because it's the desire of our hearts that we together as a community can reach out to our community. Do you remember when Jesus taught his disciples about fishing? He taught them about fishing while they were fishing. You know, he didn't circle them together on the beach and start drawing pictures in the sand. Now, boys, this is the windward side of the boat. This is the leeward side of the boat. Now, when you're fishing, you never cast your net on the windward side, always on the leeward side, unless, of course, this happens. And then it's okay. No, that's not what Jesus did. He didn't just talk about fishing. He got in the boat with them. Jesus had been in the boat. He'd been preaching, teaching from the boat to the crowd of people who had gathered around them. And then scripture says that he finished preaching. And when he finished, he said to Simon, to Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a a catch. Peter answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And so when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat who were fishing. Guys, come over here. Our nets are about to break. 
And the boats were so full, their boat and the boat of the partners, that the boats began to sink. Jesus met them in their work. Jesus helped them in their work. Jesus blessed them in their work. See, Jesus meets us in the quietness of the morning, in that special place that we like to go to with the the word of God open on our laps and a cup of coffee uh, in our hands. He meets us there, and it's beautiful. The Lord meets us in the darkness of night and the stillness of our bed when everyone else is asleep and we're alone with the Lord. He meets us there, and it's beautiful. But between early morning and late night, there are a lot of hours in between, aren't there? A lot of hours that you and I could be and should be at work, at work together. And as we work, the Lord will meet us there as well. He will bless us there as well. So much so that we have to work together to pull in the great harvest, the great blessing that the Lord will pull out. Pour out. That's what the Lord intends for us to do, to be a family on mission together. You know, individuals trying to do ministry isolated isolated, or alone, they find themselves frustrated and sometimes ineffectual and oftentimes bitter and angry. Why? Because you can't haul the net in all by yourself. Because God doesn't intend you, not in a place like this, to have to work all alone. He intends us to work together as a people. It's not about the individual. It's about the body, the people. And Jesus once asked his disciples the, the most weighty question that you can ever ask anyone. And he said to his disciples, who do you say I am? Most important question ever, isn't it? Who do you believe the Lord Jesus to be? Well, Peter answered. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The profession that we all have to make to be part of of the body of Christ. And after Peter made that profession, that confession, Jesus didn't then launch off on a commentary. Now, Peter, now that you said, now now this is the ministry. It doesn't talk about Peter and his individuality. What does Jesus talk about right off the bat? The church. Yeah, Peter, you're right. And on this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter as a leader and spokesman for the other 11 disciples, he's just one. He's just one of a part of a group that will bring the gospel to people and bring together a people who will change the world. And that's why the church is wrong. The church is wrong. For whatever reason, it has done it to deposit into the hands of a few professional or ordained clergy what is the responsibility of all of us We as a people stand before God. We as a people are responsible before God. We as a people are to live holy lives before God. We as our people are to live in the land in which God has placed us as holy and as responsible. It's a great deception that's been thrust on the church by our enemy. It's a deception propagated and perpetuated by him as a tactic to slow down or snuff out altogether the advance of the gospel and any evidence of transformation 
It's his goal to reduce to a little teeny tiny fraction the number of people who are truly living out their identity in Christ. It's a great plan, and it's been pretty effective. What could the church, Redeemer included, accomplish if all its people saw that together and equally we are set apart, called together and equally to obedience, called together and equally to mission? We can keep this great divide, show up on Sunday morning, drop some money in the plate, and be done with it. If we do that, we shouldn't be surprised that the church is anemic, that it seems powerless and boring, not much going on. George Barna is best-selling and award-winning author. I quote him often. He's a researcher. He believes that this time of, that we are in a time of unprecedented opportunity and plentiful resources. And in this time, the church is actually losing influence. And he writes about an exodus from the church in America because churches have failed in mobilizing the people. Churches have failed in mobilizing the people for action, holding them accountable for their behavior, motivating them to sustain a spiritual revolution. We're to be part of a spiritual revolution. Blessing of the Lord is found in working together with the Lord. The blessing comes because the Lord meets us in that work. If we could see what was happening spiritually, it might look something like this. You set out with your community group, walking to some community outreach in a park that you signed up for. And as you walk along, you see on the sidewalk ahead of you, Look, there is Jesus. Jesus, what what are you doing here? Well, I'm going to the outreach in the park. You're going to the outreach in the park? I'm going to the outreach in the park. I didn't know you signed up for the outreach in the park. That's where we're going. But of course you find him there. Because that walk to the park is the missional road. And that's the road that Jesus travels. The gospel road goes in one direction. It goes from death to life. It goes from darkness to light. And we always find Jesus walking along that road, moving people from death to life, moving people deeper and deeper into life, moving people constantly, steadily, closer and closer and closer into the heart of God. It's not very likely if you're traveling Highway 17 north to Georgetown, and I'm traveling Highway 17 south to Savannah that we shall ever meet. In fact, we shall never meet. But if you and I are both traveling Highway 17 north, then perhaps we will meet along the way. I may overtake you. You may overtake me. We may end up at the same rest stop for half an hour where we can talk about our trip together. And so it is with Christ and his people. We will encounter Christ when we're up and moving and working and traveling the same road that Jesus is on. When we together, you and I together, are intentionally looking for ways to show the love of Christ and our community, then you and I and Jesus, we will be traveling on the same road. And it's very likely that we will meet when we're intentional about getting involved 
together in the works of mercy and justice, you and I and Jesus will very likely meet because that's where Jesus is at work. And he will meet us there. And he will give us strength. And we will know that it comes from him because though our bodies might be weary, our spirits will rise up with wings like eagles and soar because we know the Lord met us there. He'll meet us there. And he'll give us the words to say and we'll be so amazed and we'll know it's from him. And our spirits will rise up and soar because we know that the Lord met us there. We, together, will see amazing things happen. And our spirits will soar because we know that the Lord did it. We will become a people, a body, a family, addicted to to, to the joy in meeting the Lord when we are people, a family, on mission together. And not just when we are alone in that cozy place with a cup of coffee. Why would we want to abdicate that joy and blessing to someone else? We are coming now to the table of the Lord. And as we come, this is convicting. We ask ourselves, why, Lord? Well, he gave his life because that's what he wanted to do. If Jesus had not wanted to give his life for us, they could have never taken it from him. But that's what he wanted to do. So we can't make any addition to the sacrifice that Jesus has already made, but we can ask, Lord, this new life that you've given me, why? What is it that I'm to do with the life that you have given to me? You can do that. You could ask that question. Titus 2.14, Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself a people, a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Maybe you need to give up chocolate, Dr. Pepper, I don't know. But you see that we must be a family on mission together. Let's pray. Father, it's only your spirit that can truly convict us by your truth. It's only your spirit that can truly make us the people that you have called us to be. Only your spirit that will cause us to live out the identity that you have given to us. Father, I do pray that now you would overwhelm us with the possibilities that are before us. If we will all see ourselves as a people, a family, on mission together. Lord, the the, the gospel is strong. The gospel is powerful. And so, Lord, is your spirit. And as we, your people, take that gospel out into the community with our words and with our action and with our love, we know that by your spirit, you can bring about great change. You can bring life from death. Or you can bring transformation and, and set people free by your truth. Father, the the things that we see in the community around us, the the suffering, we can do so much to do something about that. And so we pray, Lord, that uh, we would be committed before you, convicted by you, committed to you, to be the people that you have called us to be together and to do the things that you have called us to do together. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.